Hello and welcome to the audio version of the Political Debrief Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Oliverio. A very special episode is a few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing MP John Broussard. He's the current opposition house leader for the Conservative Party. We talked about a variety of topics that include improving the House of Commons and communication between parties. Here's our conversation now. And joining me now is the Member of Parliament for Barry Innisfil and the House Leader for the Official Opposition, John Broussard. Thank you so much for joining me today. Great to be here, Joshua. Glad you're doing this. So first of all, for our audience, can you please explain what the role of the Official Opposition House Leader is? Yeah, um, so I've been in this role since uh, February. Uh, Candace Bergen, uh, who is our leader on an interim basis, asked me to assume the role of Opposition House Leader. Um, in simple terms, everything that happens in the House of Commons uh, goes through the opposition House Leader's office. So I interact with uh, the other House Leaders, uh, the government side, uh, the Bloc Québécois, and the NDP, and we work uh, together to determine, um, you know, how debate is going to happen in the House. Uh, many of the speakers that are put up on the Conservative side. Uh, go through the House Leader's office. I work very closely as a member of the leadership team um, to determine strategy and tactic uh, within the House and, um, uh, you know, just generally uh, be a liaison between our caucus and our leader. Uh, that is what I do as the opposition House Leader. Uh, it's a very important role uh, historically, um, and it's a role that I really enjoy. So, why is this role so important for the functioning of the House of Commons? Well, there has to be one central focal point for all of the things that happen within the House of Commons, and the House Leader's Office uh, really is part of that. Uh, anything to do with legislation, anything to do with uh, regulations, private members' business on our side, uh, and to some degree, what happens within committees working closely with the WHIP's office. So all of the functioning, all of the uh, things that happen within the House of Commons uh, becomes part of the House Leader's responsibility and uh, those that work within the House Leader's office. I'm very fortunate to have some great people that work with me in the House Leader's office that help uh, guide, keep things on the rails, if you will, of what happens in the House of Commons and, and to, get our, uh, to get our members uh, to participate and to engage in debate. And, you know, from your perspective and from the Conservative Party's perspective, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges or problems kind of in the House of Commons uh, in this current parliament? Um, well, for, I mean, from my perspective, uh, only doing this uh, since February, uh, you know, there's been a lot of dynamics that have happened within the House of Commons, not the least of which is uh, what I like to call, I know some people call it a supply and coalition agreement between the NDP and the Liberals. I call it a, uh, uh, a coalition. Um, the, uh, the NDP and the Liberals are working very closely uh, together to push forward the government's agenda. And that's been one of the biggest challenges that I've faced in the House of Commons is trying to, you know, understand the direction 
that the decisions that they're both making, oftentimes they've excluded the opposition parties, uh, and I would include the Bloc Québécois in that, in any of the decision-making aspect of, of the House of Commons. The other thing that's gone on is we've seen the government uh, invoke or instill uh you know, some pretty harsh procedural tactics that are limiting debate, that are not allowing members of parliament to represent their constituents effectively. Uh, we've seen that through uh, government motions, uh, motion 11, motion 16, uh, to uh, basically uh, take control of the parliamentary agenda without uh, any valuable or valued input or respectful input by the members of the opposition. So that's been one of the difficult challenges right now. And, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of issues that are affecting this country. There's a lot of things that parliamentarians can do to make legislation better, to suggest. I mean, parliament by its very nature, parl is a place where we speak, where we debate, uh, where the best of the ideas in Canada come forward from every region of the country. Uh, diverse perspectives of different MPs providing different input on on things to make make lives better for Canadians and uh, frankly from my perspective we're not seeing that right now we're seeing a government that uh, is basically taking control of Parliament and is being aided and abetted by uh, their new partners in the NDP do you know or do you think there are any short-term solutions to those problems that you just mentioned? Well, the magnitude of the challenges that we're facing as a country is, is fairly significant, Joshua, not the least of which is the inflation and affordability crisis that's affecting Canadians. Not a day goes by in my office that I'm not talking to somebody affected by that or many people affected, families, seniors, uh, you know, they're feeling the crunch and they're feeling the anxiety. And I think as a, as a, as a legislature and as parliamentarians, uh, I think we have to understand that that anxiety and that uh, fear uh, because of inflation and the cost of living crisis is, is having a, a dramatic and profound impact on all Canadians and Canadian families and seniors are worried about that. And so I think one of the things that we should be focused on uh, is ensuring that we're doing everything we can to help with the affordability crisis. I know our Conservative Party uh, put forward several motions in the last uh, session of Parliament to help make life more affordable for Canadians, whether it was reducing taxes on gasoline, uh, eliminating the carbon tax uh, to try to make life more affordable for people. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we, we came forward with what I thought were solutions that were supportable, at least to get us through in the near term, uh, some of the challenges that are facing Canadians. And in every case, it was rejected by the NDP Liberal Coalition. So we did try, we continue to try to uh, come up with solutions and suggestions to help make life more affordable. But you have to have willing partners. And it seems to me like the NDP and the Liberal Coalition are not willing partners in doing that. And uh, uh, in the meantime, Canadians are still suffering uh, and they will continue to suffer under this affordability and inflation crisis that has been created over the last couple of years. Yeah, and you raise an interesting point about how kind of uh, the parties are at, you know, are very, have different opinions on how the House of Commons should be run. And at the beginning of this parliament, though, it didn't really feel like it was like that. It felt like the the party leader, the House leaders were talking to each other. It felt like, you know, with, with C4 and, you know, there were there was a very quick vote on C3, what what happened um, that's that stopped the parties from talking together? 
Well, the parties were always talking. Uh, it's just the, the manner in which uh, they were talking really changed after the Liberal NDP coalition. Um, the government um, decided that it didn't need the opposition parties, Her Majesty's loyal opposition included, as well as the Bloc Québécois, uh, to make any decisions because they had a willing dance partner effectively buying themselves a majority. And I think we went into the September 20th election in 2021, the prime minister thought that, uh, you know, two things were going to happen. Number one, people were going to throw rose petals at his feet and that they were going to give him a majority for the way he handled COVID. And secondly, he knew, as we knew back then, that there were converging factors with respect to the economy uh, that was going to make things very difficult for Canadian families and Canadian uh, seniors. And so he thought that Canadians were going to give him a majority. Well, they didn't. They gave him a minority government and they sent a clear message to uh, uh, the prime minister that they weren't willing to reward him with a majority. Well, that wasn't good enough for the prime minister. So he decided to, um, you know, approach the NDP, get a uh, get effectively a majority government able to pass any bit of legislation that he wants and included in that was uh, imposing uh, uh, motions on the House of Commons that effectively silenced or muted the opposition, giving him an audience, not an opposition. And as I said earlier, one of the key parts of Parliament is that there is debate, that there is uh, suggestions that are being made. Uh, and oftentimes those suggestions have fallen on deaf ears in some of the examples that I cited earlier. So for me, the dynamic changed uh, completely when the NDP and the Liberal decided that they were going to join forces and have a majority in our parliament, as opposed to what uh, signal the Canadians sent to the prime minister, and that was a minority government last September. So that that's really where things changed. Now, we were still talking, but oftentimes, in my case, uh, as opposition house leader, I'd be, uh, if not the last, next to last person to hear about what was coming up because, uh, you know, the uh, government house leader realized very quickly that he didn't need the opposition parties, that he could just go to the NDP and impose whatever will they wanted on parliament. And, um, and that's when things change. I want to ask you about another House of Commons parliamentary procedure. It's called time allocation. Um, and it can be used to um, set a certain amount of time to be a certain amount of time to be debated on a bill at, you know, a certain stage. Um, there are some good uses for time allocation, um, but the Conservatives and even the Bloc have been saying that time allocation has been used to um, a, a ridiculous amount of time or, or way too often. In June, for example, time allocation was used six times um, for three different bills. Um, you're opposed to this and, uh, you know, the media has been documenting this as well. But um, do you think that there are still areas where time allocation can be used effectively um, in this parliament at all or is that ship kind of sailed well i i still believe joshua that there is the ability for parties to negotiate if the government does have a priority with respect to a piece of legislation or certain pieces of legislation uh, there's always give and take there's always some negotiation and room for negotiation that can be had to help the government meet its agenda but also to help the opposition party uh, get what it's ne it needs as well and that could include for example a certain amount of speakers or time to debate an issue. Oftentimes, when time allocation would be imposed, uh, 
the opposition parties were given just a couple of hours to debate what effectively were multi-million or billion dollar pieces of legislation without the proper scrutiny, without proper oversight. Uh, this is a government that in 2015, in their throne speech, said that all voices, diverse voices of parliament should be heard, that we will not be limiting speech. We will not be limiting debate on members of parliament. This is what they ran on in 2015. And yet here we are, we've seen this incremental use uh, really sort of culminating in the last days before parliament where uh, they were invoking time allocation on debates, sometimes lasting two hours, that, uh, you know, on a multi-million dollar bills. So uh, that's not the way parliament is supposed to function. Uh, we're, not a, we're not an authoritarian state. Uh, and I really, uh, and I called it out uh, for what it was. And it was a real decline in democracy of not having a proper oversight. And uh, I know that the government has accused the opposition of of certain tactics and stuff, but uh, you know, like we're not an audience. We are an opposition, Her Majesty's loyal opposition. We we got more votes than the Liberal Party did in the last election, and that means that more people voted for an opposition party than they did for the government. So, you know, I make no apologies for. Uh, you know, some of the tactics within the House of Commons to try to make sure that our voices are heard. The other thing with respect to time allocation, which is the hypocrisy on the part of the NDP, and yes, you're quite right, the Conservative Party did invoke time allocation in a, in a majority situation, uh, and there may well be some uses for time allocation, but the hypocrisy of the NDP, in particular the House leader, Peter Julian, who used to rail against time allocation being implemented by the Conservative Party, now all of a sudden is a party to it and is uh, subservient to it with respect to the NDP. He has no problem invoking time allocation on, in some cases, as I said, bills that have only had two hours of parliamentary scrutiny and in some cases don't even end up at committee uh, and are time limited at committee. So, um, you know, you can't, uh, you can't sit there and rail against something one time uh, and then all of a sudden become complicit to it the next and not think that, uh, you know, you're not going to be called out for your hypocrisy. So, uh, you know, do I like time allocation? No, um, there may well be a use for it. I wasn't here before 2015. So in the context of how it was used, I'm not sure. But I can tell you that as the opposition house leader, um, I can the, the context in which it was used was more to limit or stifle debate and to get the government to move quickly on its legislation as opposed to actually allowing for fulsome debate, scrutiny, oversight, and transparency on what in many cases are multi-billion pieces, uh, multi-million, billion-dollar pieces of legislation that the government had said and the prime minister had said in 2015 that they weren't going to implement. So, uh, you know, another, uh, another failure uh, and broken promise on the part of the Trudeau Liberal government. I want to ask you about uh, those tactics that you just referenced. One of them uh, involves the use of routine motions, where a Conservative MP will introduce a routine motion, most, most often to concur a committee report, and that essentially what it does is it prevents the government, the, the business of the House that the government has laid out for that day, halts to, so that MPs can debate that bill. Yeah, for three for three hours. For three hours, right? Why why do you feel that's necessary? Well, if you look at the issue of uh, the ethics committee, for example, the committee report uh, on the We Charity scandal, there were 
uh, things that came out of the We Charity scandal that uh, weren't allowed to be debated in committee that we thought was important to highlight within the House of Commons. Uh, and there were other uh, motions as well and concurrence reports uh, coming out of committee that we felt were important and that should be brought to a vote within the House of Commons. The thing that you have to understand, Joshua, is not too many people pay attention to committees. Uh, those that follow politics closely may, but more people pay attention to what happens within the House of Commons. So bringing some of those concurrence reports back uh, and having a fulsome debate on, and eventually a vote on that, that the House uh, concurs in those reports, uh, is an important part of parliamentary procedure and process and well within the rules. Um, but on the other hand of that, the government does have uh, the ability through some of its tactics, and we saw this, where they would move to orders of the day where, you know, limiting the ability of, of the opposition party to, uh, to move concurrence reports, also limiting the ability of opposition members and their own members to introduce petitions and all of that, for example. Uh, so there was a lot of back and forth that was going on within the House of Commons. But the bottom line here is had the government uh, decided that they were going to work uh, with opposition parties, and I would include the bloc, not their, not their coalition partners in the NDP, to advance legislation, to have proper debate, uh, then you know a lot of these uh, tactics and procedures uh, may not have been able or may not have come to fruition. And so, uh, you know, oftentimes, as I said, there are important issues that come out of committee that requires eyes in the House of Commons and debate in the House of Commons and then eventually a vote. Uh, and so we were working well within uh, the, uh, the rules and the procedures that were available to us as was the government on the reverse side of that. So, uh, so again, I'm not going to apologize uh, for wanting our members' voices to be heard. The millions of people that voted for Conservatives and those that voted for the Bloc Québécois uh, because the NDP and the Liberal Coalition decided that they wanted to mute those voices. I, I, I don't think that's appropriate as well. How can young people get involved with the business of the House? How can young people have their voice heard on um, motions or bills that are before the House of Commons? Well, I, the role of an MP is to listen to its constituents of all ages. And I think that's that's critical, Joshua. I, uh, I'm very fortunate in my writing of Barry Innisfil to have young people engaged and involved in the political system. And when I speak to high schools and elementary schools, I talk to people, the, the kids about that and young people. Uh, and I tell them that, uh, you know, being involved in politics and having an understanding of politics like you're doing and putting this kind of forum out there is important because politics affects every aspect of your life. Political decisions, decisions at all levels, municipal, provincial, and federal will have an impact on everyone's life, including young people. So it's important to become engaged, involved. You can do that at the local constituency level. Um, you know, people call up, young people call up, I call them back. If they have any questions, um, you know, I'm there to answer them. That's, that's a critical part of being a member of parliament. And from that, some good ideas can come forward and healthy debate should be able to happen. And we shouldn't work to stifle debate. We should be encouraging debate in this country because 
from those ideas that are presented in debate, uh, we can find solutions to the great challenges that are facing our country. And so as the voice of uh, the people of Barry Innisfil, I encourage young people to give me a call and I'm engaged actively with many young people in my constituency. I go around to high schools and speak at primary schools and I talk to uh, them about the importance of uh, politics and the impact that it has in, in their lives, as I said earlier. The other thing that I would say to young people, and this is critical, is to learn French. Try to, don't dismiss it when, it when it comes to classes. Do everything you can to learn Canada's second official language because it will open up, Joshua, a world of opportunity to young people. Not just to get employment within government, but also around the world as well. And so, uh, you know, learning French is a critical part of, of, uh, of, should be a critical part of any education plan that a young person has in this country because uh, it does provide great opportunity learning both languages uh, to, to you and your future as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, John Broussard, for joining me on the show today. My pleasure. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that you're doing this and I'm glad that you're educating young people. And, uh, you know, as I, as I tell everybody, Joshua, the magnitude of the challenges that we're facing in this country are significant for our future and the future generations. And, uh, you know, in any time that Canada has faced these great challenges, we've all always done it united. And we have to be united in our cause. It doesn't matter whether you're liberal, whether you're NDP, whether you're conservative, Green Party, Bloc, or whatever. Uh, if you have a good idea, and that good idea affects positively the lives of Canadians, then we as politicians should be listening to those and not, not be so uh, partisan uh, or blinded by our partisanship that we can't see good ideas when they're placed in front of us. And this is why it's important, as I said earlier, to engage in debate because it's from that debate, whether you agree with somebody or not, it's from that debate that good ideas to face those challenges will come from. And we have to make sure that, uh, that uh, we're all working together to face those challenges as Canadians. So thanks for having me today. And that's it for this edition of the Political Debrief Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can connect with the show as always on politicaldebrief.com, on Twitter at Josh Oliverio, and on Instagram at Political Debrief Show. All those links are down below in the episode description. You can also watch this episode on YouTube to see a video version of our conversation. That link is also down below. Once again, thanks for listening, and I look forward to the next episode. Music